welcome to another DBSA Romance Fiction Podcast. Is that not the most unexciting name? Sounds for dear bitches and smart authors, except iTunes doesn't like the word bitches. That's too bad, because I'm Sarah from SmartBitchesTrashyBooks.com, and with me is Jane Litt from DearAuthor.com. This week, Jane and I are talking about what I've been reading, and we talk about ridiculousness threshold, the level of ridiculous that a reader will tolerate, and how it varies depending on genre or even publisher. There's emotional ridiculous, where characters instantly fall in love with someone based on what their toes look like. And then there's circumstantial ridiculous, like all the serial killers running around different series. Lots of serial killers. Nobody just, you know, robs a liquor store. They kill eight people in gruesome, maniacal ways. And that that's something I have a hard time with. And now, on to the podcast. Wait, what, what did you just ask me? what you were reading oh books you mean like books that i'm reading yes <laughs> um let's see i reread the courtney milan book unclaimed for the book club this week because i felt like i couldn't remember some of the scenes that i wanted to remember so i reread it which was quite enjoyable usually i don't like rereading things but i really i really enjoyed this book i see what you're saying about them these gentlemen being incredibly forgiving of, of the women in their lives, uh, doing some really shitty things. But I really enjoyed the way that she plays with the ideas of chastity and, and vulnerability and position. Um, I also like the fact that at the end, the characters are all honest with one another, that her being a courtesan does not automatically guarantee her social acceptance just because she marries the brother of a duke. That, that they will have to live in somewhat isolated circumstances and they won't necessarily be able to walk into London and be like, Hey, I'm popular. How you doing? Then on Sunday, I read the Meg Cabot series, the first and the last book in the lightning girl series. I love this series. I love this series so much. This is the one that was made into, um, I think it's 1-800 missing you on television, but in the books it's 1-800. Where are you? It's a YA series about a girl from Indiana who is struck by lightning and ends up with the ability to to see pictures of missing people and then she'll dream about them and wake up knowing exactly where they are. But she doesn't know if they're alive or dead in the beginning. She just knows where they are. So she starts calling the hotline and saying, okay, well, this kid's here and this kid's there and this one's, this is kind of weird. It's on a highway by a tree. That's where you find her. Not thinking that the reason this won't, this girl is on a highway by a tree is because she's buried there. So the hotline and the FBI become very interested in her abilities and want to know how this one girl in Indiana knows where all these missing kids are. And then it turns out one of the kids who was missing, um, one of the kids who's missing didn't want to be found because he and his mother were running away from an abusive parent and who was very controlling. And so of course, when he was found, he was in danger. And so was his mother and his mother went to jail. So she has to fix it. The interesting thing about the heroine is that she is really brave, like foolhardy, confident, brave. And it's interesting because when I read about a heroine like that who's an adult, who doesn't think about the consequences of what they're doing and sort of rushes into situations and thinks that they know best, I get really irritated because I think that that's immature. But when I read about it in a high schooler, I'm totally down. I completely agree that that is how teenagers can be. They think they know everything. So she thinks she can fix everything and save everyone. And there's this wonderfully tense relationship with this guy, Rob Wilkins, who's um, older than her. They meet in detention because, like I said, she rushes into situations, so she punches people and gets detention. 
and they meet in detention and he is really into her until he finds out that she's 16 and he's 18 or he's almost 18 or is 18 and on probation for something in uh, the juvenile system. And so because of the fact that he's on probation and she's underage, he won't go near her. And she really likes him and he really likes her and he is trying very hard to stay away from her because he really likes her. But going out with her um, and becoming involved with her could get him into more trouble. Plus, he's from the wrong side of the tracks, and there's a, a really obvious and distasteful prejudice against the people who live in town versus the people who live out in the rural areas around their town, including the heroine's mom, who is really quite prejudiced and very limited in her thinking. So you see her dealing with all of these problems, and she's convinced she can fix everything. And it's I love that, and I love the tension. The last one is how the series gets all wrapped up, because I think that there was a, a, a lull between the third book and the fourth book. Or no, it's the fourth and the fifth. There's a lull between the next and the last one and the last one. I think she was, Cabot was writing Diaries of Princesses or something that were much more popular and being turned into movies. So she went back and wrote one last book that wraps up the series, and it's a wonderful ending. So I read those two books in one day, which was the mental equivalent of Valium and a really big joint and a big mug of soup and a blanket and like some wine. I mean, I was so mellow and happy, but by the time I finished reading two books, I know you read faster than I do. I find that if I don't read, I get really grumpy. Do you find that's true too? Yeah, after I got my Kindle Fire, I was watching a bunch of videos. <laughs> And I found that I hadn't read for like five days. And did it make you grumpy? Uh, it actually made it kind of hard to get back into reading again because I had watched so much TV. And, you know, TV is kind of such a mindless task. And when you read, you kind of have to turn your brain on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's slower. So I wasn't, I've been actually kind of struggling getting back into the swing of things and reading and enjoying reading. Um or maybe it's just that all the books I've read lately have been terrible. I have a book to recommend for you. All right. I did buy that Addison Fox book. I haven't read it yet. You know, part of my problem is I feel like I've got to read ahead because I'm reviewing. And so I can't really read for pleasure. Just just to read. I told myself a long, long while ago um, that I would not worry about when I was reading or what I was reading and what I was reviewing because... I so often buy old books, and I know a lot of other people do too, so I told myself it didn't matter if I wasn't reading ahead, but I still feel like I should be reading things that are about to come out so people can make buying decisions about books that are coming out now. It's really hard to let go of that feeling, especially if you get the books in advance. I do have a book to recommend to you, though. Lessons in Seduction by Sandra Hyatt. I'm really enjoying this book. The setup is it's a, it's a Harlequin Desire. And it's the third in a series that she's writing about a royal family in a very small principality called San Felipe. And the heroine is the daughter of the driver, of one of the drivers for the, for the royal family. And she grew up in the palace because her father lives there. And she is also a driver. She also races Grand Prix and works for the racing community and wants to bring a Grand Prix to that country. The hero is the crown prince. And he's been a figure in previous books, but what's interesting is that she's his driver. And she's also his, his known him since she was five and he was 10, and she doesn't really take much crap for him. 
And she's been attracted to him for a while and has tried to stay away from him because there's a whole bunch of reasons why they can't be together, most notably that he's the prince and she's not. But what I love about it is it reminds me a lot of some kind of wonderful where Mary Stuart Masterson is the one friend who is really honest with the hero, even while he's trying to find another girl or trying to get another girl. And you just know that that, that Mary Stuart Masterson's character, when she's helping the hero get this girl, that's going to be the end of their friendship, even if the hero doesn't think so. Because what woman is going to let her boyfriend have this incredibly close attracted friendship with another woman so the the heroine in this book is trying to help the hero adam find someone who would be a suitable princess so because he wants to get married and he wants to find someone to be with and every time he gets set up with somebody there there's just no no chemistry and in a sense they're perfect for each other except that there's all these reasons why they can't be together and the tension is really quite enjoyable and I'm really enjoying it because it's sort of like a fairy tale but it reminds me so much of other things it reminds me of some kind of wonderful and it reminds me of of other friends to lovers stories that I've liked so I'm really enjoying this book you might like it unless you've already read it and you hated it I haven't read it I'm I don't actually read very many desires um for some reason I haven't enjoyed them as much as the Harlequin Presents although I've been having a bad run of luck with the Harlequin Presents um so I'll give that a try. I did enjoy the Maya Banks one. Did you read that? The Maya Banks Desire? Yeah. No, I didn't know she had a new one. And I know that you've liked her uh, silhouette desires in the past more than I have. Yes. There's one that I loved that, that um, I can never remember. Yeah. Oh, this one came out last month, Wanted by Her Lost Love. Wanted. The hero... The hero thinks that the hero and cheated on him with her bro with his brother, and uh, he tells her to get out of his life, and she runs off. She's pregnant, um, and he can't stop thinking about her. He has she hasn't cashed the check he gave her, and so he uses that as an excuse to track her down when in fact he's just still in love with her. And then she he finds her, and she's pregnant, and he comes to the conclusion that he doesn't care about the past, but that he just wants her back in his life again. And they try to move forward. Um, but the past obviously has to be resolved before they can have any kind of meaningful relationship. It kind of reminded me of the gold ring of betrayal by Michelle Reed, although I like that book better. Sorry, Maya. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, but I did enjoy this one. Interesting. The cover is ridiculous. The expression on the hero's face is like, hey. I know. You're they're pregnant. Both, they're both smiling far too much. They're both like story. really, he has a really stupid grin on his face. Like, <laughs> you're pregnant. Look <laughs> at you. It's the Beavis laugh. Yeah, <laughs> he's totally got a butthead laugh going on there. <laughs> <laughs> you're round <laughs> but in the book it's full of angst so they shouldn't be smiling they should be pained looks on their faces well this guy just looks stoned well maybe and he was in the photo big. shoot his, his shirt's too big so it, that's got to be the unsexiest outfit i mean those khaki dockers with the over big shirt yeah the hey but it's open and not tucked in <laughs> at least she's pregnant that's true. It looks like this is a whole 
a whole series of pregnant pregnancy passion. Well, you know, Maya Banks, she loves her secret baby stories. That's true. Oy. And then there's, there was one enticed by his forgotten lover. Oh, that's Raphael DeLuca and Brian E. Morgan. Wow, that sounds like something straight off of Falcon Crest. Man, they are all pregnant. These <laughs> <laughs> women are big and huge. Look at that. And the thing is, when you get the the models and they have those cute little baby bumps and the story takes place over some time, I'm always thinking there's going to come a point where you're not going to be horny and you're just going to be tired and, and uncomfortable. Well, in this book, which is kind of ridiculous, but you kind of expect that from these books. But in any event, she's seven months pregnant. Good she God. has preeclampsia and they still managed to get it on several times. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, sure. What's a little medical condition and a giant baby on the front of you? I mean, when I was seven months pregnant and both my kids were late, bless them. I could, I waddled. That was about as much as I could manage. When you first met me, I was as big as a son. You were big. I was very big. I gave birth six weeks later. That was not a sexy time. That was a waddling time. Okay. So let me ask you this question. What, why does, why do you think the reader's threshold of ridiculous changes depending on what they're reading. Like if I read a Harlequin presents, I am ready for some crazy ridiculousness and I am okay with it until it gets to the point of um, one eyed bejazzled pirates with elephant parades. I am okay with ridiculous in some places, but I'm not okay with ridiculous in others. And it would seem inconsistent except that you and I share the same changing level of ridiculousness. I think the only place where you and I differ is that I will tolerate a lot of historical ridiculousness that you will not. Well, I think that the ridic I think it's because Harlequin presents Silhouette Desires. There's no basis in reality. These are pure fantasy books, and you expect, especially in a short amount of time, in order for them to evoke that kind of emotion to go to extremes. You know, it's never, right. it's never that. Um, a hero has one parent die, but both die. And it's not that they both die, but that they both die in a horrific crash that leaves them penniless and at the mercy of, you know, vagabonds on the street. And he's yeah. raised by ocelots, <laughs> like Dr. Doofenshmirtz. And then it's not enough that he grows up to be, you know, a fairly wealthy guy, but he's a billionaire of the billionaires. <laughs> <laughs> and he loans the other billionaires money because he's got so much. Right. <laughs> so it's it's moving beyond what you called agency and how the hero had agency and 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 it's not that we want the people to be wealthy, it's that we want them to be protected and assured and confident and pretty consistent into the future. We want to know that their current level of of standard of living is going to continue and that the bad things aren't going to happen to them. So we want to know that they have the agency to make sure that that's going to happen beyond the end of the story. But why is it that we will accept some level of crazy in some books, but not in others? Well, I think that crazy is kind of expected when you're reading a paranormal or when you're reading these short, fluffy, sudsy books. But when you're reading a romantic suspense, for example, you expect it to be grounded in reality because part of the suspense arises from the idea that this could really happen. And that the, that the terror is something that could possibly be, even though there aren't that many serial killers in the world. 
or um, special forces people running around. Oh, there's a lot of special forces. They're like, you know, you trip over them when you go down to the store. I see three right out my window. Right <laughs> are they dangling from a helicopter? <laughs> yes. Oh, shit. There's corn in the gasoline. We've got to land there and fix it. So rescue all the Toregs. <laughs> so in any event, I think that when you are relying on real world uh, boundaries to provide suspense and drama and conflict, that when you move outside of that, uh, it ruins the story. So is in a story with emotional conflict, do you accept more ridiculousness than in a story with external conflict? Not in contemporaries. So maybe it's a question of how much reality is expected. The, the farther away from contemporary reality the book is, the more craziness you'll accept. Oh, right. Like Karis Rowan? I'm totally on board with her tangerine lover. <laughs> You're going to make me... If I read you. that with some, you know, contemporary FBI agent, I'd be throwing the book across the room. But see, this is interesting because I don't like Linda Howard for that reason. And you you do. You guys, you and Angie and other people that we've spoken to all love her books. And I just cannot get on board. I think it was... Is it Kill and Tell or Dream Man? One of the two. He's got ferns. And he's the most romantically, he's the most interesting man in the world. He's got <laughs> ferns and he falls into insta-love with the heroine who magically remembers some skill that her father taught her when she was three to avoid the bad guy in her apartment. And at one point she ruminates on their toes. And I'm like, this is, this is great. Insta-love. They, they, all of a sudden the guy who would never commit to anybody is having butt naked balcony sex with masks on and you know this woman is the one for him i don't i can't get on board with that because i think it's ridiculous yet that's okay you guys are you guys are on board with that it's kill and tell and and it's that kill and kind tell. of a, thank you it that kind of emotional over the top yeah that doesn't bother me it's it's the circumstantial over the top the uh you know you have to be internally consistent for me and in like the Catherine Mann book, there's not consistency between this in the setup. I think this may be where we differ because I am okay with cir circumstantial and situational crazy sauce. Like, all right, sure. Yeah, absolutely. The limo suddenly bulletproof. I accept that. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Um, like I've said, I don't care if the historical details are not correct. I'm, I'm okay. Like, the fact that um, in the in the Kieran Kramer series with the uh, in the one with the um, with the bookseller Cloudy with a Chance of Marriage, the fact that that no one could really see the street and they were alone in the fog in the clouds on the street and no one really went down that street because it was haunted and cursed and it was entirely populated with noble stock characters. That bothered me. The noble stock characters bothered me. The circumstances in London where they lived on a cloudy street where the sun never shone and no one ever walked down the street, so all the businesses were failing. That didn't bother me at all. That didn't bother me either. But the emotional over-the-top, I can't handle. I, just, I don't accept insta-love. I don't accept um, characters that move because the plot wants them to, not because that's what normal humans would do. I can't deal with that type of ridiculousness. But yet, if I sit and I think about it, I am willing to accept some emotional over-the-topness 
in Harlequins, but I'm very intolerant of it in other places. And I'm sort of asking myself, well, how come Harlequin gets to special dispensation for the ridiculous? <laughs> they get a ridiculous pass. Well, I think it has to do with expectations too. I mean, going into a Harlequin Presents or Harlequin Desire, you expect the kind of, you know, secret baby with amnesia. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, and big misunderstanding, you know, five siblings and a prince. Uh, and if you don't get it, you're kind of disappointed. You're That's like, true. well, you this story was opulence. okay. You know, this Maya Banks story was okay. It had a secret baby, but this Maya Banks had secret baby amnesia and a marriage of convenience. Win. Everyone wins. Yeah, I can see why that... I can see why reader expectations play into the tolerance of the ridiculous. But what's interesting is that there's still an audience for over-the-top ridiculousness. I call it the, the books that fall off the bad spectrum and circle back around to good because they're just so crazy. I love books like that. That That's Karis Roan. <laughs> okay, I will read Karis Roan. <laughs> I'm not Which... saying you should read it. I'm just saying <laughs> it is so bad it circles around. It's, it's, it's like um, it's an Escher painting of craziness. <laughs> The craziness is nonstop. When you look down the tunnel, all you can see is crazy at the end. <laughs> Yet you're going for it. Yeah, because you know. <laughs> you're about to enter the fun house. <laughs> but see, Actually, I, love... I, I think I told you that I read the coffee and donut book and I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> no, you told me that the next one had coffee and donuts, but you had not said that you've read it already. Oh, no, the coffee and donuts didn't live up to promise. No, not really. Not oh, because it's too bad. It, not because it didn't have craziness, but because I've become really uncomfortable with um, her depiction of females in the series, oh, and I, dear. I feel like she wants to be seen as like a feminist reader, but the only power that her heroines have is emotional power. And in a paranormal world, there's no reason why you can't have female warriors. But all the females are working the switchboard and um, doing little ceremonies in the gardens. That's it? Um, sometimes they're flying around spreading peace. Oh, I love doing that. <laughs> <laughs> if by so, spreading peace you mean kicking ass and taking names. And so I was kind of disappointed um, and, and it's, there's a real kind of stark contrast, I think, between the men and the women in this book. Or maybe they've always been there and I've just kind of been drunk on the crazy. And mm -hmm. now I'm sober and once sober, it's just not as appealing. It's not as good. I you was know... beer goggling before. <laughs> beer goggling. Goggles have fallen off. You know, I... I think that my best example of situational rid ridiculousness is um, uh, Shelley Lawrenston books. I love that they are so crazy. I love that they are violent. I love that they are insane. I love that the women like to kill things. I love that her characters are self-confessed rednecks and are, are rural and live in trailers. And I love that they're all sort of situationally insane. And I, I love that about these books. I love it a lot. But I get frustrated when characters in a book that is situationally crazy 
behave in ways that are emotionally inconsistent. Well, I, I, I agree. I don't like inconsistency at any level. Unless it's, you know, tangerines. Well, that wasn't inconsistent. That was totally consistent with his character. <laughs> that was very, very consistent tangerines. Yeah, he loved her. He was, uh, she smelled like tangerines. Made total sense to me. Absolutely sure. Why not? <laughs> and that's all for this edition of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. The music, as always, is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at twitter.com slash sassyoutwater. This is a track we've used before. This is the Peatbog Fairies from their album Dust. The track is called The Naughty Step. It's by far the most popular of the music that we featured on the podcast based on listener feedback. We will have more new music and more new podcasts in 2012. You can always send us feedback at our email address, sbjpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter. I'm at SmartBitches, and Jane is at Jane underscore L. Or you can visit us on the internet, because that's where we live. I'm at SmartBitchesTrashyBooks.com, and she's at DearAuthor.com, and we're pretty much all the time talking about romance novels. I hope you and yours have a wonderful holiday season. I hope that you get excellent books as gifts or for yourself. And as always, we wish you the very best of reading.